your name. We pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. How many guys love you some Jesus today? First of all, it's good to have you guys. Uh, if you're a visitor, it's always good to have you guys at Reliance. Uh, if you're regular, you hear us say this all the time, but um, we love uh, calling ourselves a family, so it's, it's good having you to be a part of our, our family here. Um, and this will never get old, and I'll always say this every week so that you guys know it, especially if you're new and you come in. We don't want our Sunday morning experience to be the pinnacle of what you experience at Reliance, okay? Meaning that at the end of the day, our, our heart, our desire, our goal is that you would get invested in life with us in a deeper way. <clears throat> and that's, we're, we're working on different things for that, whether that be life groups or Bible studies. Uh, we're, we're, we're bringing up our sports and rec team, all right? And so we've got softball coming up, but I want you to know somebody at the first service said that they're going to start a curling team, all right? And they invited the pastoral staff to be a part of that. And I don't know if they're being legit or not, but I'm taking it for real, okay? And, uh, and, and so I said, man, if you start a curling team, I want to be on it. And could, could you imagine Reliance representing the United States and next time the Olympics the next time around? I'm just saying, I think we would dominate in curling. I'm just throwing that out there. But uh, we want you guys to get involved. Go deeper. Don't just, don't just make this your home on Sunday mornings right here. Don't just make this experience your home. Make, make, make life groups and Bible studies and, and men's groups and women's groups and youth group and kids ministries and all of those. And make that part of your home as well. And so um, we just want you guys to be a part uh, of that. So we've been after it these last few weeks, amen? Like we've absolutely been after it. And we've talked about the presence of God, how the presence of God is pinnacle to everything that we do, that we want the presence of God in our life more than we want just all the things that Jesus even gives us. We want the presence first. It starts with the presence of God. And then we've, we shifted and we talked about our position in God, meaning that we are sons and daughters of God. We talked about that. We talked about God as our Father. Ryan, uh, Pastor Ryan, brought a great word on the fact that um, we have an inheritance as sons and daughters. Didn't he do a good job last week bringing the word? My only contention is that he said I was the closest thing to a sister that he's had. Um, so we've, we've, we've got some issues there. We've got to break down with him, but he needs counseling for that anyway. So... Um, so our whole goal, our whole goal on this, in this identity of presence and position and inheritance and sons and daughters, all that, our whole goal is that we're on this journey in our faith walk. And we're on, our, on this journey of trying to understand what is this Christian life really all about? You guys have heard us like talk about how, man, we get tired of this up and down nature of our Christian life where it's like one minute we get it and the next minute we don't and the next minute we get it and then we walk away from it. And it's, it's frustrating at times knowing that we have this love affair with God, that we have this love affair with Jesus, that we desire relationship, but we just don't seem to be able to get it right all the time. Amen. And it's, and it's frustrating. And so we've been on this journey and hopefully what we've been doing with, you know, talking about presence and position and sonship and daughtership and inheritance, hopefully what we've been doing is kind of clearing the path of all the kind of nonsense that sometimes we grow up with Christianity that it's, you know, you've got to do this and this and this makes you a Christian. And we realize that it's not about that stuff, but it's about understanding who God is and then understanding who we are in God. Amen? That if we just make that our foundation, not, not, not all the other stuff, but if you make that, that our foundation, then we're going to start with the right foundation to be on the right journey with God. Amen? And so what, what I wanted to do is, is talk about that 
and in this journey, that if, if you're normal, and I'm just assuming most of us are normal in here, all right? That if you're normal, most of us go, man, the journey that we're on in this faith walk is not always the easiest journey, all right? And I think that we would agree with that. Like, there's a tendency for us in our life when we're on this journey, there's a tendency for, for us to hold on still to what's safe and comfortable, right? So we, we want you, God, but we're trying to drag our comfortable chair with us. You know what I'm talking about? So we, we, we want the things of God, we want the presence of God, we, we, we're, we're buying into the fact that we're sons and daughters of God, but it's difficult for us to leave the comfortability of our life as well, the safety of our life as well. I was telling the first service, I kind of liken it to like, if you've, if you've ever played like um, uh, hide and go seek with your kids, or you've ever played tag with your kids and you have a base, and, and the base is right here, and your kids are playing tag with you, and they're only two feet away from the base, right? And so you're like, guys, you gotta get away from the base, and they can just jump and touch the base. And I'm like, that's the lamest game in the world. It doesn't even make sense. You can't play tag if you never get off of the base, right? To play tag, you've gotta leave the comfortability of the base, and you've gotta actually play the game. But the same thing is in our Christian life. We can't play the game while trying to hold on to all the comfortable safety nets in our life while still trying to say, God, but you have everything, right? We can't play that game. So eventually we've got to decide what, what we're going to let go and how we're going to let those things go and, and, and venture away from those things, if you will. And so what I want to do today is I just want to take a step back. We've talked presence, position, all those things. Now I want to take a step back and I want to identify what causes us to lose sight of the presence of God in our life. I want to take a step back and I want to identify what causes us to lose a sight of the position that we have in Jesus Christ, that we are loved sons and daughters of God. I want to take a step back and understand what causes us to lose our identity and the inheritance that God has given us. Because the reality is most of us in here buy into the idea of, man, yes, God is good. I think if you're in this place, I think at least something's beginning to resonate with you where you're going, maybe I'm not fully there yet, but I'm starting to kind of get to that place of going, I feel like God's good. He could be good. Maybe he's good. Or you've experienced the goodness of who he is. And so I think most of us in here uh, get that part and then once you get that part you start to get it and go yeah I get I'm supposed to represent Jesus Christ well the, the issue isn't that we don't understand it the issue is why is it so stinking hard amen why is it that we struggle with this and part of the reason the journey is so difficult at times is because when things get tough as we addressed a second ago, most of, has, most of us have a place that we can run back to that's, that's, that's comfortable. Most of us have a place that we can run back to that's safe. And so many of us, when things get tough, we just simply run to the comfortable things and, and not the discomfort of things. It's just what our natural tendency is. For instance, New Year's resolutions. How many of you guys started a New Year's resolution and then failed miserably? Remember, we're family. It's okay to raise your hand high and proud, right? Come on, get them up there. Oof, okay, like 10 of us, awesome. So, so that's why New Year's resolutions are hard to, to start and then to finish because it, uh, usually a New Year's resolution is something I haven't been doing that I don't feel super comfortable with, but something I know I, I need to be doing. I was reading, um, uh, I think it was on Stephanie Ross' Facebook page um, one time uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she put this. She says, today marks six weeks without any sugar. 
I've stopped eating meat and dairy too. No caffeine, running two miles a day before breakfast. I plan to make this my new lifestyle. And if you, if you know Stephanie Roth, you're like, Steph, really? Right? And she says, completely vegan, gluten-free, caffeine-free, and sugar-free, and working out for two hours a day. And I'm like, that sounds horrific, right? Like, I get the other stuff, but you're cutting meat out of your diet? Like, I didn't under, I'm, this woman needs Jesus. Like, she needs, she needs somebody to come lay hands on her so she can get saved all over again or something. And so I'm literally, I'm going, what in the world? I cannot believe that that is incredible that she's doing that. And then if you keep reading down on her post, she puts this. I don't know whose status this is, but I was really proud of them, so I decided to copy and paste it to mine. <laughs> but for a moment, I was like, I can't believe she's doing this. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. She's getting away from everything that would bring that momentary comfort, that momentary pleasure, that, 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 that momentary safety net, if you want to call it that way. And she's saying, I'm just going to venture out. And then I started thinking about it. But isn't that our life with Christ? Isn't that it? Don't we say, man, God, all of this goodness, man, that we have, all of this goodness, all of this stuff that brings comfort and safety and, and, and momentary pleasure, isn't that what you're calling me away from so that I can truly know what satisfaction is in you? And I think sometimes in our Christian life, that's our problem is that we have, and, and I entitled it, we have a problem of running back to Egypt, which is our safety net. Now, I'm going to talk about Egypt here in a minute, but... All through the Old Testament, you'll find that Egypt is kind of this representation uh, of a place of prosperity. It's a place of, it was kind of a mecca uh, of, of wealth and, and prosperity. I mean, any country that tried to come in, they want to conquer Egypt because of all the great things that they had. Fertile soil, all those things. And so Egypt was this mentality in the Old Testament that when things got tough, when things got difficult, when things started to really kind of break down, that people would turn and think, I just need to run back to my comfort of Egypt. I just need to run back to my safety net of Egypt. And so you'll find this all through the Old Testament that it's a trend. And, and here's what it was always. When things get tough, let's just simply run back to Egypt for help. Okay? And so you see this all, all through Scripture. you got the story of, uh, of Joseph. And, and if you remember, Joseph was sold into slavery. And, and then there was seven years of famine. And, and so God's people go in and they find comfort in Egypt to take care of them during that time frame. And for a season they prospered. And then they became the slaves of Egypt. Amen? And then you begin to see other stories of the Exodus where for 400 years they've been in slavery in, in, in Egypt. And then all of a sudden God sets them free. And just what we're going to talk about today, just a few days later, they're like, we want to go back to Egypt because it's too tough. And then you've got stories where the kingdom of Israel was finally raised up and they've got kings. And any time an army, the Babylonians or whoever, were trying to come against them, do you know where they went for help? Say it. Egypt. Egypt will come and save us. Egypt will come and rescue us. Egypt has a large army. And so you see this constant theme throughout Scripture of, hey, if we ever get in trouble, let's just flee back to Egypt. It's actually really crazy if you think about it because for the, for the Israelite people, Egypt represented this place of, yes, comfort and wealth and prosperity and safety, prestige, all of these things. This was, this was the place, kind of the pinnacle of that Old Testament of, of this kind of rising kingdom, if you will. But we forget that it was also a place for 400 years of the Israelite life of slavery. 
400 years, it was a place of brutal conditions. For 400 years, they slaved and they toiled and they built the empire, this, this empire of even on the backs of these Israelite people. For 400 years, this was a brutal place for the Israelite people. Yet, for reasons that we're going to dive into today, the Israelites continued to look at Egypt as a place of refuge. And I hope that, I hope that what we see today is we, we, we've, we've all got these Egypt places in our life that we want to run back to. We've all got these safety net, these places of refuge that we tend to run to at times that even though it may give us a momentary comfort, even though it may give us a momentary pleasure, even though for a moment we may feel peace, it's always going to be fading and not lasting. Amen, church? Even though it was a place of refuge, it was a place of slavery for them. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 11. And we're going to start with verse 4 through 6. And just real quickly, I'm just going to kind of rip um, some of these down just so we kind of understand where we're at. Um, so God has just rescued his people out of Egypt. He's just done the parting of the Red Sea. Um, they're traveling through the wilderness to get to the edge of the promised land. And I've told you this before, but I want to recap this. This was not a like long traveling period, all right? This wasn't like years from Egypt to where they were going to the promised land, 14 days, 15 days, 20 days. I mean, it was not a long trip, okay? So I want you to remember the context of the days we're talking about. We're not talking months. We're not talking years. We're talking really days or, or, or weeks. And so he, he starts off in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4, and here's what he says. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave. Everybody say crave. Now, crave means have a desire for, have something that, man, we really want that, we desire that. They began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel, God's people, also began to complain. Oh, for some meat. Do I hear an amen to that? They exclaimed. Look at verse 5. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic that we wanted. But now, but now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna, okay? That's all we ever see. And so let's talk about manna just in case you don't know what that is. God literally rained bread from heaven, amen? So you've got, they're, they're praying, they're like, God, we're starving, they're complaining in the wilderness, and God goes, look, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring food down to you. So every day that they went out, there was food lying there for them to take up. So God had not left them or, or abandoned them, but it says, but now our appetites are gone, all we ever see is this manna. Now remember something, this has been a short trip so far, okay? This has been a short trip. It's not like we're talking years so far. They're simply saying, through this wilderness experience, we're sick and tired of a couple days of manna, all right? Babies, whiners, complainers, amen? So all of a sudden, I'm reading this, man, and I'm going, okay, all we, have, all, all we, all we ever see is this manna. And in this moment, I'm thinking, my goodness, think about this for a minute, church. They were called out of slavery for 400 years. And do you remember what they were promised? God says, I'm calling you out of slavery and I'm going to give you a promised land. Do you remember what he said the promised land was filled with what? 
milk and honey, grape clusters so big, it's going to take two guys to carry, right? So he's telling them that when you get to this place of promise, you're going to have everything that you want. Your heart's desire is going to be filled to the uttermost. You're going to find satisfaction what I'm going to give you. But for this 14, 20-day, whatever journey, they got sick and tired of that couple days of manna, and they're ready to turn back and go into 400 years of slavery. God says, I've got something for you on the other side, but look, it may be a little bit difficult for you right now. You may just have to eat bread for a couple days. And they couldn't bring themselves to do that. Now listen to why this is so important, church. It's funny what they said. We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. You didn't eat that fish for free. You were slaves. You worked for that fish with whips on your back. They said this, and we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic that we wanted. And I want to go, no, no, no. If you read the account, they lived in shanty towns where they were beat and they got the crumbs of the Egyptian people. But isn't it funny that when you're on this journey and you're traveling along, how quickly you forget about those things, right? And how quickly you start to complain about what you're going through immediately, forgetting that it was worse back then, but thinking that you remembered it was better back then, amen? How quickly we can go back to the past and go, oh, it was so much better back then. And we forget about all the misery we had to endure then. I liken it to my kids on a trip. And we're on a trip and they're like, dad, we haven't eaten for days. I'm like, be quiet. You had a snack two hours ago, right? But to them and their mentality, like, oh, it's been days since we've eaten. I remember when we had all the greatest things, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, you just had McDonald's or whatever. So at the end of the day, it's funny to me that they think that they had this free ride in Egypt. And then going on, look what he says in Numbers chapter 11, starting with verse 10. And I love this next part because of the father. This resonates with my heart. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. Amen? And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of these people? And here's why I love it. This is where it starts to get. Did I give birth to them? <laughs> did I bring them into the world? <laughs> Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them, listen to this church, how can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? You see, even Moses' mentality was shifting. God parted the sea. God brought manna from heaven. God produced water from a rock. God did these things. But now Moses feels like that, that he's shifting. He's starting to turn and look towards Egypt. How am I going to provide for these people? How am I going to support all of these people? Forgetting that it's God that's always been supporting them. And then he says this. They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. You see what happens when we start to listen to that and we start to see everybody shifting towards their comfort zones and their safety nets and their Egypts. All of a sudden, we start turning that same way. And Moses is feeling like, I can't do this on my own, forgetting that it's never been on his own. Amen? It's always been about what God has done for him. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. I like this. Do me a favor and spare me this misery, right? You ever felt that way? 
You ever felt that way? And, and, and what I love about this scripture is how real and authentic it is. And I know I say this a lot, but, but, if, but if I'm writing this and I want people to, you know, if, I, if I'm just making this up and I want it to be super clean, then I'm gonna read, and Moses saw the people, he had pity on them and he produced food for them, right? And then we're just gonna move on. But that's not how the story goes. It's real. Moses is like, I'm sick and tired of these crazies. So look, church, it's easy to say, well, why are they being so stupid? Do, do they forget what God has just done just a few short days or weeks ago? Why are they being so stupid? But then I, then I start to remember we all have Egypts in our own life where God has provided, God has done these great things for us, and we simply run back to our comfort and our safety nets that we feel comfortable in. There's a quote that I read that really set up this whole sermon for me, and it says this. It took one day to get the Hebrews out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Hebrews. You see, church, I believe that that's where we're struggling in our identity with Christianity. I believe that's why we're in this up and down mode. Because at, at one time, till God sends the plagues, one day a million people walk out of Egypt. A million people walk out of Egypt. But for 40 years they wandered because Egypt never walked out of them. Because they always turned, always wanted to go back, always thinking that, that their day was, was better when they were in slavery for 400 years. And so I started asking, why in the world is it so difficult to get Egypt out of us? So what I want to do is I want to real quickly go through four areas, because I want to have some time while we pray at the end. I want to go through four areas real quickly of why I believe it's so difficult to get Egypt out of us. Number one, it's easy to forget how far we've come. I know that sounds so stupid, but it's so easy to forget how far we've come. Church, listen, the Israelites quickly forgot the weight of their burden in Egypt. They witnessed this miracle, this Red Sea. They left Egypt with riches. Do you know when they left Egypt, they plundered Egypt, essentially? Like when they left, they didn't leave just in their rags. Like they were leaving with livestock. They were leaving with things. They were going out. God says, you can have some of these things. He's, he's sending them out. They, they took some plunder with them. And, and even though they took some of that plunder with them, they had that endless labor that they had been through and abuse after living through all of that stuff, after living through all of those years of slavery and then just walking freely out of Egypt, they simply sat there and they rejoiced and they praised God for the first couple of days. There's a whole chapter dedicated to the people singing praises to God, how he blessed them, how they plundered Egypt, how they walked out as free men and women. And that excitement and gratitude lasted for a couple of days. And time and time again, through the wilderness, God met their needs with manna and quail and shade and warmth and you name it. For millions of people, yet the desert journey that they were on got tough. And no one's disputing that. Moses didn't dispute that. But repeatedly, they dug their heels in when it got tough. Repeatedly, they dug their heels in, and they would turn, and they would say, let's go back to Egypt. They forgot about what God had done. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt, all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Church, let me say something I think is super important for us today. We need to continually remind ourselves of how God has come through for us in the past. 
Because if I'm telling you right now, if God has done something for you, let's say 2017, man, God did something tremendous in your life, and, and, and you don't write that down, journal that. Maybe you don't journal, write that down, but, but type it in your phone, email it to yourself, have some record of it. Because when 2018 is upon us right now, there's going to be something you go through in this year, and you're going to say, God, how can I trust you forgetting that he pulled you through last year? Journal write it down God is always faithful he will continue to be faithful we need those reminders lately I've talked with tons of men and women in this church right here who have told me man we've been encountering God we've seen God work in our life we've seen God do miracle we've seen this 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 and this and we've seen God and just truly affect our family and I'm like you gotta write it down you gotta write it down they're like why should we write it down I said because I promise you your life is not gonna be easy from here on out either amen and you need to remember that God is faithful. You need to remember that in the next season that you go through, you need to remember that God always comes through in his timing, in his way. Amen? God always comes through. And here's the thing. There, there's a lot of risk, and I get that. There's a lot of risk and a lot of loss that, that comes with that church. But the expectation that suffering is going to be gone, if we live in this expectation that suffering is going to be gone the minute that we come into Jesus... That, that suffering's gonna be out, that we're just gonna live this easy, free-going life. Let me just tell you, that's not the life of Jesus, amen? We live in freedom with Christ, knowing he sustains us and gives us everything that we need for a godly life, but it does not mean that it's an, always an easy journey. Number two, so we've gotta remember how far we've come. That's how we get Egypt out of us. Number two, how do we get Egypt out of us? We talk about this all the time, but I wanna bring it up again. We have to truly trust him. I, know, I feel like we could talk about trusting God every single Sunday. These people, they struggled repeatedly, repeatedly trusting God, and so do we. They decided to take matters into their own hands, hands to try to get the job done. That's what Moses said. How am I supposed to feed these people? How am I supposed to carry these people? Rather than leaving these things in the hands of the creator of the universe who's already taken care of them, amen? Here's the deal. The promise from our God has never been that the salvation journey following with him has ever going to, has or will ever be easy, but it's going to be worth it. If you look at Isaiah 31.1, it says, what sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help. Look what he says, trusting their horses, trusting Egypt's horses, trusting their chariots, trusting their charioteers, and depending on the strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. What sorrow awaits them. What sorrow awaits us when we go after what we think is gonna help us find comfort and stability in life, not trusting that it's in Jesus Christ, amen? If we are brought out of slavery, if God spent all this 400 years listening to his sons and daughters, right? He's listening to his kids. If God spent 400 years listening to his kids cry out, God save us, God save us, God save us, and then he pulls them out of slavery, then the answer to God in us should be, we trust you. We trust you. Trust, church, if nothing else, listen to this. Trust the process Trust the process in the next chapter of the story that you're walking through. You don't always get to see the end picture. I get that. We don't always get to see the end picture, but we can trust the process that God has us in, that he's bigger and that he's better than anything else that we're going to try to find that fulfillment in. For the last two then, so we get Egypt out of us. 
One, number one, by remembering where we've come from, by remembering what God has done. Two, by putting our trust in him. And these last two that I want to talk about are built off of Numbers chapter 14. And so it's, it'll be up here on the screen. You can go to it real quickly. I just want to bust through these. And, and what you have in, in Numbers chapter 14 is just to set this up. So they sent their 12 spies over to the promised land. So here's the river that go across. They see the, milk and, the land flowing with milk and honey. They see the big clusters of grapes. And they also see giants. Goliath was a giant, right? They see these super tall guys. They see these armies that are huge, armies that are much bigger than they have. They see all of these fortified cities, and so they come back, and, and, and we know the story of this. We talked about this. A few of them are like, we can take it. We can take what God's given. But the majority of the Israelite people are going, there's no way. There's no way that God can give us this land. We need to turn around. And here's what we pick up. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt. If only we had died in slavery with somebody whipping our back. Or even here in the wilderness, they complained. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Why is the Lord taking us to the country, taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives, our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They, then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. And then jumping down to verse 20, then the Lord said, I will pardon them. So Moses says, God, forgive them for what they're saying, right? God says, I will pardon them for, for as you have requested, but as surely as I live and as surely as the, uh, as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. So we know that that generation had to die off. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and the wilderness, but again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. And then in verse 25, now look what he says. Now turn around and don't go towards the promised land, the land where the Amalekites and Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, where you just came from. Church, let me tell you the third reason I believe that it's hard to get Egypt out of us, where we're running back to that safety net. It's hard to get Egypt out of us because we give into our fears rather than live out in our hope. Amen? We give into our fears rather than live out in our hope. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Our fears are real. I get that. And, and some of them are real. Some of them we really do struggle with. It's true for the Israelites. They really did see tall guys. They really did see these armies that were bigger than theirs. But in the face of them are all of the things that God promises us in our inheritance, that there's salvation and redemption and grace and healing and victory in Jesus Christ. Amen? But we're, we're given into our fears more so than we're given into the hope that Jesus has for us. Our hope simply must trump our fears. Otherwise, we're always going to run back to Egypt. Satan's trick is to try to get you to flee from one aspect so that you will fall into another aspect of your fears and your, your, your worries and your anxieties. They forgot. Look what he says again. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to a country where we're going to die in battle? He, our wives, our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? They forgot that they were already plunder in Egypt. They forgot that they already had their kids carried off. They didn't own their kids when they were in slavery. Their kids could be sold at any minute. 
They forgot that their fears were keeping them. They, they forgot that in their fears that they were keeping them from the hope that they had in Jesus when they were set free. Church, this is so important for us because I believe that that presence we want, position in Jesus we want, we want to know we're sons and daughters, but we're still living this up and down. Why? Because we've got these safety nets that we run to. We've got these Egypts that we run to. Number four, real quickly, last one. The reason it's so hard to get Egypt out of us and why we run back to Egypt is that we're always looking for the easy way out. <laughs> amen? Come on now, amen? No, I need everybody, amen? <laughs> we're always looking for the easy way out. In Exodus 13, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, it says this, that God did not lead them on the main run that run uh, on the main road that runs through the Philistine territory. So they could have gone from here, they could have bypassed a lot of this nonsense and could have went right straight to the promised land. But it says God did not lead them on the main road that runs through the Philistine territory even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. It says this, if the cuz he says in Exodus 13:17, if the people are faced with battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Can I just say that God provided a way out that's going to have some challenges. We're going to face new challenges, new things that come. I mean, they forgot their pain and their torture that they just endured not very long ago. They had thought their troubles were over. And, and here's the struggle that they're in right now. They're in this struggle because they're looking for the easy way out. Red Sea parted, manna's from heaven, all these things. And now they're feet from the promised land. Feet from the promised land. Cross over the river. Man, God's got sustenance for you on that side. They're feet from it. And here's the problem. While they're looking in, they think that looking into the promised land is good enough. Why? Because there's no way God can defeat the giants. There's no way God can defeat the armies. So it would be better for us to go back to 400 years of slavery and misery rather than seeing what God can do on this side. Come on now. So we run back to Egypt, we run back to our comfort zones. We run backwards. There's a quote that I read that I love. Instead of telling God how big your giants are, when are you gonna start telling your giants how big your God is? Amen? So here's what I wanna do today, church. I want you to remember what God has done. I want you to remember what God has done. I want you to run away from your Egypt. Maybe your Egypt is a relationship you gotta get out of. Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, a work issue you got to get out of. Maybe your Egypt is religion you got to get out of. Amen? You run to the safety things thinking that that's your comfortability, but in the end, all it does is enslave you to temporary fixes when on the other side over here, God has a place for you that's so much better. I want you to remember what God has done. I want you to put your trust in God. I want you to remember that you've got to trump your fears with hope. You've got to trump your fears with hope. And then I want you to remember, it's not always the easiest way that's the right way, amen? This morning I wanna pray over you. Just open up the altar if you wanna come and just spend some time getting rid of your Egypts. We all have them. Every one of us in this room have that Egypt, that place that we run back to, that place that we find comfortability in. For some of us, it could be that 401K. For some of us, it could be in what we have in the bank. For some of us, I don't know, in your job, whatever it is. But we've all got those places where we're 
straddling that line. Uh, years ago, we talked about that trapeze act. You can't be a trapeze artist and, and, and hold on to the bar and then hold on to the other person because you're going to get stuck in the middle, right? Eventually, you got to let go of one or the other. Eventually, you got to let go of the bar. I'm going to let go of my safety net, and I'm going to trust that this person has me. It's the same thing, man. We've got to begin to trust God. Let go of my safety net. Let go of my Egypt. Stop running back to my Egypt. Start running to my God. Start running to the promised land that He has for me. Start running to the destiny that He's lined out for me. But you've got to let go of your Egypt first. You know what that Egypt is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today we just declare that we are going to be a people who stop running back to our safety nets, a people, God, who stop running back to those places of momentary comfort. And God, we're going to let go. We're going to let go of that stuff. And we're going to swing into the arms of our Father. We're going to swing into the arms of a Father who's got good things. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's going to be bumps and bruises along the road. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be that you provide our wants, but you will always provide our needs. So today, God, I pray that as a faithful church, as a faithful body of believers, as faithful men and women, today we can make that declaration. We're not going to chase the temporary things, but we're going to chase the eternal things. We let go of our Egypts trust in you we let go of our Egypts and we remember where you brought us to we let go of our Egypts and we trump all of our fears with hope in you we let go of our Egypts and we remember that the road may not be easy but you're the one who made the road for it's in Jesus Christ we pray these things amen amen I invite you to stand the altar is open if you'd like to come we're gonna close out with this last song